Chapter 16 The morning dawned clear. It was Sunday, and the village assembled at the church for Mass. Not everyone could fit inside, so some of the villagers stood outside the church door. Leodegar and his clerk stood at the front. There were no seats or pews, and Theobald's family did too. Gerhard's family also found a place inside the church, and when Gislinda caught Gregory's eye, she arched her eyebrows in a silent question. He smiled back at her and nodded subtly. They had spoken the night before. He had told her what had happened and promised to ask his father. He hadn't yet, though. He was still deciding how to bring it up. The mass lasted over an hour, and no one listening understood any of it except for Giles the clerk, but everyone knew the words were holy and would protect them and keep them in God's grace. That afternoon, Wilfrith set off on a walk around the village. His thoughts flitted here and there. The Feast of All Saints was coming up soon, he thought. Alcuin of York, an English priest in King Charles's court, had introduced the feast to the Franks recently. October 27th, he thought. That gave him less than a week to prepare. He immediately thought of Yadith. Not only was she English, she was from Northumbria, like Alcuin. He should ask her about it, or at least mention it to her, he thought. He thought of her and her odd sister and their tragic situation, and decided to say a prayer for both of them that evening. He knew they were anxious to go, but wished they wouldn't. Maybe they could stay for the winter, he thought, and he decided to find them and ask. He found Yadith with Gregory in the yard behind Gregory's house, scraping the bark from a sapling while Gunhild walked. The broken mast lay nearby, presumably to use as measurement. If they worked hard, they might finish it that day. Father Wilfrith approached them. "'You're not supposed to work on a Sunday,' he scolded. This had been one of the hardest habits for the villagers of Wynnum to break. Wilfrith could have prescribed punishment for it, but he had realized long ago that he wasn't very good at punishing. "'This isn't exactly work, Father,' said Gregory. "'Surely helping a guest is allowed by our Lord.' Wilfrith looked skeptical. "'If you don't mind me asking—' "'How are you feeling about last night's conversation?' he asked. Gregory scowled, resenting the priest's intrusion. "'We shall see, father,' he said. "'It's no wonder you want to go fight in the name of our great saviour,' said Wilfrith. "'It's a noble calling. But do consider, have you maybe thought about a career in the church? I could teach you to read and write and speak Latin.' Wilfrith had to acknowledge that Gregory would be getting a late start but he knew that some priests could only barely read and write, and knew only enough Latin to say Mass. Gregory could certainly do well enough if he tried hard. Gregory continued to scrape the sapling, shaving down rough bits where branches had been. "'Is it true that priests don't marry, though?' said Gregory. "'Some do,' said Wilforth. "'Are you inclined toward marriage?' Gregory smiled. "'I may be.' The sapling was looking more like a mast now. They laid the old mast alongside it and marked where to cut, and Gregory picked up a small hatchet. Just then his father rushed back to the house and called for him. "'Count Leodegar is packing up and getting ready to leave,' he said urgently to Gregory. "'Get your mail shirt and your sword. Put them on and saddle your horse. You'll leave with him.' Theobald rushed to find his wife to ask her to pack food for Gregory, and left Gregory still holding his hatchet and realizing that he was running out of time to tell his father about Gislinda. A few minutes later, much of the village had assembled to see Count Leodegar leave. Rumor had spread quickly, as rumors do in a small village, that something dramatic was going to happen. Theobald was waiting at the village green, holding a leather bag in one hand, shifting his weight nervously. 
he saw that Gerhard and most of his family had also assembled on the green among the other villagers. Theobald looked behind him to see Gregory approaching, followed by Ausa, Maria, and the English girl and her sister. But Gregory wasn't wearing his armor. "'What are you doing?' he hissed as Gregory approached. "'Please, Father,' urged Gregory, "'let this drop. It's not the right time. I need to talk to you.' "'It's the only time,' said Theobald. "'I can make this work. I have thirty solidi here, and I can promise him more.' He began to walk over to where Leodegar was watching his porters strike camp. He was about to call out when a voice echoed across the crowd. "'Good count!' boomed Gerhard. "'My son comes from a long line of warriors.' Theobald looked up and realized that Seward, standing next to Gerhard, was wearing a coat of mail with a sword strapped to his waist. "'I offer you sixty solidi to take him as your man-at-arms.' The crowd jostled to get a better look as Gerhard handed a bag of coins to Leodegar. The Count took the bag, smiling, and said, "'I will consider your offer.' Then, nodding to his sergeant and his clerk, he walked to Wilfrith's house, leaving the crowd uncertain as to what to do next. Gregory looked over at Gislinda, standing next to her uncle and cousin. She must have told her uncle about Leodegar's demand from Theobald after Gregory had talked to her last night. Gislinda saw him looking and walked toward him. Gregory looked for his father and realized he had left. Then suddenly Gislinda was before him, the first time they had spoken together in public. "'What did your father say?' she asked. "'I haven't asked yet,' said Gregory. "'What your uncle just did may have ruined everything. Why did you tell him?' "'It will work,' Gislinda said. "'If Seward goes instead, you can stay.' The crowd parted as footsteps approached at a run. They turned to see people holding Gregory's sword. He was red-faced and out of breath from running, but managed to hold out the sword to his son. "'That heathen and his family have just shamed us all,' he bellowed. "'Gerhard, send out your son. Gregory will show you who the real warrior is.' All eyes rested on Gregory, who still hadn't taken the sword his father had extended toward him. "'No, I won't,' he said. "'Gerhard and Seward have done no wrong. It is honorable to fight for your lord.' Theobald's expression changed to fury as he realized what Gregory was saying. "'Don't be a coward,' he hissed, trying to keep his voice low. "'That man just stole your position.' "'He can have it,' said Gregory. Theobald stared at him in disbelief, then drew the sword and threw the sheath to the ground. "'Gerhard!' he bellowed. "'You're a pagan and a traitor, and everyone knows it. Now pick up a sword and we'll see who's the better man.' "'No, father,' said Gregory. I'm going to marry Gislinda. Her, shouted his father. Why her, of all people? What will you use for a bride price? You have thirty solidi you were ready to give, said Gregory. Why would I do that, said Theobald, sneering. For one thing, she's an orphan with no dowry. Gerhard had approached, and Gregory was relieved to see he was unarmed. His arms were crossed across his broad chest, but he had half a smile on his face. Her father left her three fields of wheat and twenty cows, plus twenty solidi, said Gerhard. We have been tending it all these years, but it belongs to her. She is not without property. The crowd was silent as Theobald listened. His expression had changed from anger to careful calculation. Which fields? he asked skeptically. The ones past the stream, to the right of the ash trees. The villagers watched as Theobald weighed the decision. Gregory gets to choose which cows, he said. Agreed, said Gerhard, and Gislinda and Gregory looked at each other and realized it was going to work after all. 
Theobald was still scowling, but inwardly he was adding up what kind of a farm Gregory would someday own. His own farm, added to Gislinda's dowry, would make Gregory the biggest landowner in the village, and Theobald's future grandchildren could inherit all of it. He nodded in agreement to Gerhard, who gave a satisfied smile. Just then, Leodegar stomped out of Wilfred's house, followed by Giles, who held the bag of coins. Giles had examined each coin one by one. He had weighed them, measured them, rubbed them against a touchstone, and scrutinized the images on each side. As he had pronounced each one legitimate, Leodegar's mood had gotten worse and worse. There had to be counterfeits somewhere, he knew. He decided to stop wasting time. "'People of Wynnum,' said the Count as he approached, "'I command in the name of King Charles that you stay where you are. "'Rickard,' he shouted at his sergeant, "'no one is to leave the village green.' The three men-at-arms drew their swords and spread out around the crowd. Leodegar walked to the center of the crowd where Theobald and Gerhard stood. He held out his hand for Theobald's sword, then for his bag of coins. "'Check every man and woman,' he called to his porters. "'Take every coin you find.' Then we'll start on the houses. Gerhard and Theobald had realized what was going on. They knew what counterfeiting was, and knew why Leodegar would care so much. On the edge of the crowd, Arnwald put his hand on his son's shoulder. Their house and forge had already been searched, of course, and it looked as if their carefulness had paid off. Gerhard scanned the crowd for Minhard. He knew that if anyone would decide to resist, it would be Minhard, and he was silently thankful that Minhard hadn't even bothered to come watch. Yadith had understood the instructions when Giles, translating for Leodegar, had told everyone to stay where they were and be searched. She didn't know what the men were looking for, but it seemed to have nothing to do with her or Gunhild. Leodegar had never even noticed them before, and must have assumed that they were part of Theobald's household. She reached out her hand to hold Gunhild's, trying to let her know that everything would be okay. Gunhild watched silently. It wasn't until one of Leodegar's men approached her, ready to search her, that Gunhild remembered about her bag. The bag hanging from her belt, the one with her knife and her flint, had been with her so long that she didn't think about it much, but when she saw other people being searched, she realized what would happen as soon as they reached her. She had picked up something many days ago that would ruin everything. She began to panic. As the men got closer and she couldn't figure out how to stop them, she began to look around for a way to escape. If she ran, maybe she could make it to the woods before they could catch her. It was only she who needed to run. Yadith would be fine. They might not bother chasing her. Maybe they would think she was crazy, or just not worth the effort. Suddenly, one of the men was before her, and he reached for her bag. No! she shouted, and the crowd fell silent. Then one man grabbed her arms while another forced open the bag. Let me go! she shouted in Danish, and Yadith flung herself at the man, hitting and yelling, only to have one of the others grab her from behind. The rest of the crowd simply watched as the men turned her bag upside down and let the contents fall to the ground, including a stick carved with runes. It was no longer worth trying to fake their way out of it, Gunhild realized. She had spoken in Danish, and even if no one could read what the rune stick said, there was no way it could be anything other than pagan. The Count approached her and Yadith, both of whom were restrained by his men. He picked up the rune stick and looked at it. Wilfrith ran to his side, worry written across his face. "'Did you know about this?' asked Leodegar in Frankish. The priest understood the question well enough, and he shook his head. When Giles arrived to translate, Wilfrith said, "'These girls are guests. They are English and Christian. The older one doesn't speak.' 
The older one does speak, said Leodegar. You got played for a fool. He turned to his men. Put them in the church and hold them there under guard. We'll decide what to do with them later. The king has forbidden the execution of pagans, said Wilfrith. He didn't forbid it at Verdin, snapped Leodegar, and his men dragged the two girls through the crowd to the church. Inside the wooden church, Gunhild sat with her arms wrapped around her knees, and Iadath paced nervously. They had been escorted to the church by Count Leodegar's men, who dragged them roughly by their arms as Leodegar stomped alongside and Wilfrith trailed after. Leodegar had berated Wilfrith for harboring Danish pagans, and Wilfrith had tried to protest meekly but without success. And who could blame him, thought Gunhild, with the evidence there for everyone to see. The real question, she thought, was whether they would do anything to Yadith. If Yadith were spared, a merchant boat might take her back to England in the spring. Gunhild didn't want to die, but it seemed unfair that Yadith suffer too. Gunhild thought back to when she had picked up the rune stick. It was only supposed to keep her safe. It had been hours, and no one had come for them. Outside they heard the activity of the village dying down. It went quiet. People must be going to sleep. The windows were tiny, but Yadith stalked from one to another, peering out of each one. Earlier she had watched through the windows as the Count continued his search for coins. Later, after the crowd dispersed, she saw the Count's porters unpacking the mules, and she assumed the Count would be staying another night to deal with them in the morning. Eventually night fell, and with no light to see by, Yadith joined Gunhild on the floor. They sat side by side in the darkness. "'I'm sorry,' said Gunhild softly. It's not your fault, said Yadith. Besides, it's not over yet. I heard the priest say that they don't execute pagans anymore. Maybe they'll just send us on our way. I think that the other one, the one talking to the priest, I think he'll do whatever he wants to do. I'm sorry I brought you here, said Yadith. We shouldn't have risked it. She put her hand on Gunhild's back. I shouldn't even have... Her words trailed off and Gunhild was left wondering what Yadith wished she hadn't done. Yadith lowered her voice. "'You think we can run for it?' she said. "'How?' said Gunhild, whispering. "'There's a guard in front of the door.' "'I could fight him while you run,' suggested Yadith. Gunhild turned to face her friend in the dark. "'Never. You're going home, remember?' "'So how do we get past him?' asked Yadith. Just then they heard footsteps approach at a run, and a breathless voice shouted, Hurry! It's the Count! Leodegar! He's dead! It was Father Wilfrith's voice. A different voice, the guards, spoke in Frankish, and Wilfrith shouted again, Go! Go! Leodegar is dead! Understand? Dead! The girls heard footsteps again, but these were heavier. It was the guard running off. They could hear Wilfrith's labored breathing outside the oak doors. A moment passed and the doors opened gently. Hello? Girls? whispered Wilfrith. We're here, father, said Yadith. Follow me now. Hurry, said the priest, and he opened the door just enough to let them through. The village was dark except for a dim glow within some houses. Clouds covered the moon and stars. 
Follow me, but quietly, said Wilfrith in an urgent whisper, and he dashed across the village green. Eadith and Gunhild followed. Wilfrith led them down toward the beach, away from the village, and soon stopped by a log of driftwood, where he crouched, hiding, and beckoned them to join him. "'Where's the boat?' he said, smiling at them. They could see he had a sack with him and some blankets. "'Father,' said Yadith, "'the boat is back by the village. Some of the men moved it up there to fix the mast.' Wilfrith's face fell. "'Oh, merciful Lord,' he whispered. "'What do we do now?' "'What happened to Leodegar?' asked Yadith. "'Nothing,' said Wilfrith. "'He's fine. I was lying. "'All I needed was enough time to get you down to your boat. "'I was going to go with you.' "'To England?' "'To England,' he said. "'But th the boat isn't here?' "'It's that way, maybe three hundred yards. "'It's around the edge of the village there.' "'They looked up toward the village. "'In the distance three people carrying torches "'approached the church at a run, "'Leodegar and two of his men.' They looked inside, and Leodegar began shouting. He sent each of his men in a different direction, and then ran to the nearest house, yelling and banging on the door. "'We can reach the boat, father,' said Yadith. "'We should make a big circle around and come at it from that way.' She pointed to where she meant. "'The Count doesn't know where the boat is, or even that we have a boat.' "'God protect us,' said Wilfrith nervously. "'I'll follow you.' Yadith ran along the beach, keeping away from the village, until she could circle around toward the place where they had dragged the boat previously. Wolfrith and Gunhild followed. They could see people moving in the village. Some people left their houses carrying candles or torches. Yells and curses carried across the still night. The three approached the village, then crouched in the darkness to watch. The boat was resting alongside one of the houses, and there was no light from any window nearby. So the three of them moved quickly and quietly to the wall of the house and huddled there. The boat's mast was gone, and the sail was laid out on the ground. There was no way to rig the sail now. They would have to row. Both sets of oars were in the boat, though, as were the jugs of water, but the fishing net was missing. The smoked fish had been taken out, unfortunately. A whisper carried through the still air. I hoped I would find you here. Gregory stepped out of the shadows. He was grinning broadly. "'Are you going to turn us in?' asked Wilfrith. "'Of course not,' said Gregory. "'I brought you some food for the journey. And this.' He took the lyre from behind his back and held it out to Gunhild. She looked at him, confused, then realized she was being given a gift. "'Ekthakavik,' she said in her own language, and took the lyre. "'Are you planning on pushing the boat all the way to the beach?' asked Gregory. "'It looks like it,' said Wilfrith. "'But you have to get out of here.' If we get caught, you can't be with us. You need an extra person to push, said Gregory. It's a long way. It's too risky for you, insisted Wilfrith. Maybe I can help, said another voice. Suddenly someone else was kneeling beside them, too. Menhard? asked Wilfrith. You, boy, said Menhard to Gregory. Go lead them the wrong way. Tell them you see some lights down by the stream. Gregory looked unsure of the idea, but Minhard had already taken a position by the boat, ready to push. "'Thank you, Gregory,' said Father Wilfrith. "'Hurry now,' said Minhard. Without another word, Gregory turned and dashed off, and seconds later they heard him shout, "'This way! There's a lamp glowing out past the stream!' "'Push!' whispered Minhard, and all four strained. The boat started out slow and then gained speed. They slipped past the houses and byres at the edge of the village, and it was less than a minute until they had reached the open ground of the village green. 
They paused, and Minhard stood and looked around. No one, he said. Go quickly. In the distance they heard shouts and dogs barking. They all grabbed the boat and pushed as hard as they could, pumping their legs as packed dirt gave way to sand and beach grass. They heard the waves getting louder and soon reached the water. Minhard stood and stretched. Not bad for a priest, he said. God gives us strength, Minhard, said Wilfrith. Thank you for your help. Oh, I'm just hoping I get to see that Count's face when he realizes he's lost you, said Minhard. Good luck. Without another word, he turned and walked into the dark. Quickly, girls, said Wilfrith, let's get going. They pushed the boat into the tide, wading up to their knees, and climbed in. Wilfrith and Gunnhild took the oars, and Yadith sat at the tiller, and they pulled hard as the fairing crashed through the breakers. Water splashed over the bow, soaking them, but they kept pulling, and within a minute the water was less choppy. All three looked back at the village as it receded into the darkness. Soon the glow from the houses disappeared entirely, leaving them bobbing softly in an inky, starless night. <laughs>